Welcome to the Fitbox Podcast. This is your host, Joseph Frankie. Glad you're here listening. On our podcast, we talk about two main things. First and foremost, we interview members of Fitbox so that way you can hear their stories about how they're repaying debt, how they're saving for retirement, buying homes, all this type of stuff, really to give you motivation and some different ideas. That's the first thing we talk about. The second thing our podcast do is we take individual finance topics and go through them in more detail so that way you can say, does this apply to me and how does this apply to my plan? So if you have questions or you want to sign up for Fitbucks, you can do so in the show notes, fitbucks.com, build your profile, schedule a call. We'll be talking to you soon. Enjoy the episode. Yo, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Joseph Frankie. On this podcast, it's actually a recording of our live chat with Josh from Neo Home Loans. It's our quarterly real estate update. So I hope you guys enjoy it. As always, if you want to get future updates of when the podcast comes out, make sure to subscribe, share this with your friends. And as always, if you guys want to get on your way to financial freedom, get rid of all that money-related stress, be sure to sign up for Fitbucks. Build out your financial plan using our new technology, track it. We got everything covered for you. If you got housing questions, let us know. I hope you guys enjoy the uh, the chat with Josh. And so let's jump into it. All right. Welcome to the live stream today. Um, our quarterly real estate update. Um, we have Josh here. You guys have been on here in the past, um, you guys have seen Josh. Uh, so really uh, looking forward to this one. There's been a lot of obviously stuff moving around in the markets and interest rates and all this type of stuff. So Josh, uh, welcome to the live chat. I'm excited to be here. Oh my gosh, Joe, I don't, I don't know if I remember a time in the last 22 years where People were so interested around what's going to happen with real estate because we've had, you know, if you think about it, the most epic run in real estate appreciation ever in the history of the country. Um, and a lot of that was fueled, of course, by the stimulus money and quantitative easing that pushed interest rates below historical uh, averages. And then at the same time, the great migration where everybody... We now we work on Zoom, so we can work. We can work wherever we want, and and that caused this this really massive housing boom. And people are people are just really curious, right? Like, hey, the last time that we had a housing boom like this, it was the Great Recession and the mortgage meltdown and the worst real estate crisis that the U.S. has seen since the Great Depression, and so recency bias, right? Joe, you know recency bias uh, better than anybody that tells us that we tend to anchor in our belief system uh, to what we remember most recently. And man, I mean, I had friends, colleagues, family members who filed bankruptcy in the, in the Great Recession, lost home in the Great Recession, um, went through divorces. And so that painful period of time is anchored into our, our psyche. And we immediately draw parallels to today to then, which there are some, but there's also a lot of things that are very different. And I think that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. But um, 
Of course, we want your questions. That's why this is a live stream and and we can start wherever you want, Joe. But I think that's a kind of a good frame to start this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Before we got on, um, you know, you were talking about how recently, because of the recent FOMC meeting, for those of you that don't know, that's basically the Federal Reserve meeting where they adjust rates. Um, rates went up, which were expected. They're expected to go up again the first three meetings of next year, which are February, March, and April. Um, but mortgage rates went down. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, explain to people, you know, why that happened. You, oh, you know, over the last week, I think it is. is yeah. I don't even know what day it is right now. So I tell you. <laughs> I know. It's, but, it's the end of the year all of a sudden. I don't know what happened. Um, over the last week, rates have gone down. You know, just explain to people, you know, why that is and how the mortgage rates are affected, not affected, and it has to do with inflation also. So, you know, go ahead and explain that to, to everyone. Yeah. And, you know, this is so difficult to understand because, you know, the, the, the media doesn't even get this stuff, right? I mean, you, you think you go to the New York Times because you're going to get really thought out expertise around the financial markets. And a lot of times you do. But a lot of times these are journalists that have a background in finance and they have, you know, a precursory understanding of how the financial universe works. But as you know, the financial world is diverse and has so many different layers and nuances. It'd be impossible to know everything about bonds and stocks and real estate. Like it's just too much. And, and they don't have, you know, the people that know it absolutely um, like an in industry experts that have spent the last 40 years of their life in that stuff. So look, here's the fallacy. Here's what I read all the time. The Federal Reserve is about to, to meet and they're going, they're forecasted to raise the Fed funds rate uh, and mortgage rates, that means are going to go up another half a percent or three quarters of a percent with the Fed funds rate. So what I would, what I would offer for people to try to think through this is that that correlation isn't causation. In other words, the Fed funds rate and mortgage rates might move in the same direction. They may have a correlation at some times, and then at some times they might be not correlated like we're seeing right now this, this week. Um, but just because there's correlation doesn't mean that the Fed funds rate causes mortgage rates to go up. So, so if it doesn't, then what does cause mortgage rates to go up? So both mortgage interest rates, which are you know, 15, 30-year loans, and the Fed funds rate, because the Federal Reserve is trying to figure out, should we be stimulating the economy or we, should we be uh, stifling the economy? Should we be putting on the gas or the brakes? Well, both of those are the people that are setting the markets for the federal funds rate, the Fed, and the people who are buying mortgage-backed securities, which is where mortgage rates come from, they're both watching a similar data point, which is inflation. You see, inflation erodes the value of the bond because that bond is a fixed rate of payment over the next 15 or 30 years, if you have a 30-year mortgage or a 15-year mortgage. And if inflation is eroding the buying power of the dollar and you have a fixed return, that means you may be losing more to inflation than you are on your rate of return. So let me give you an example. This is the best way to explain this. 
let's pivot, Joe. Instead of being um, instead of being mortgage borrowers, let's be bond investors. So we've got a uh, we've got some cash. We've got five hundred thousand dollars, and we want a safe investment. And so we're going to lend it to uh, you're going to lend me your five hundred thousand dollars, Joe. And and you're going to say, Josh. I think a fair interest rate is 6%. If you'll pay me 6%, and let's just say it's a super safe bet, Joe. Uh, I, I'm going to buy a million dollar home. I'm putting $500,000 of my own money down. You know me and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, a responsible human being. And so you're like, hey, this is as safe as it gets. I'll take Josh's 6% return. So 6% on $500,000. I'm going to pay Joe $30,000 in interest on each year for that loan. Well, then inflation picks up and, and, you know, inflation was averaging around 2% or so. Now it, it's gone as high as, you know, up, up into the eights, depending on which gauge of inflation you're looking at. So now think about it this way. Now Joe's looking at his $500,000 investment that I'm paying him 6% or $30,000 on, but inflation, let's just say is at 8%. That means that inflation is eroding Joe's buying power by $40,000 a year. And Josh is only paying Joe $30,000 a year. Yeah. Joe want to make any more of those loans? No, absolutely not. <laughs> no way, right? You're like, hey, on my next loan, I need to lend out at 10% or 12% because I got to normalize for the rate of inflation. So, so what the, the fundamental thing that people should take away from this, this portion of our conversation is this. The federal funds rate is the rate that banks lend one another. So if I'm a bank and I've made loans and I have deposits, I have to have a loan to deposit ratio. That's, uh, that's under my, my covenants and, and it's governed by the FDIC. Well, if somebody takes a huge withdrawal out of my bank and now all of a sudden my loan to deposit ratio is off, that bank has to come up with a bunch of cash right away. So how, what do they do? They go to the bank down the street who just got a big influx of cash and now they have too much in deposits and not enough loans and bank A borrows from bank B and they borrow that at the Fed funds rate. Okay, so that's an overnight lending rate. So if you just think of it like this, the federal funds rate sets interbank lending for 24 hours. How could that possibly dictate what a 30-year mortgage interest rate is, right? One's a 24-hour loan. The other is a 30-year loan. Uh, so, so those things are, 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 are not, um, the, the Fed funds rate doesn't cause mortgage rates to go up. Both of them are actually driven based on inflation. And, and that's shown by the example I just gave you. And, and Joe, I want to show a quick slide, if you don't mind. And I know some people might be watching the video. Some people might be watching the audio. So I'll try to you know, show first. Or I'll probably talk through this rather. So this slide says inflation drives mortgage rates. Can you see that slide, Joe? Yep. Okay. So the blue line is the 30-year fixed mortgage rate going back to about 2017. And you'll see basically from 2017 to 2019 that mortgage rates went up from about 4% to 5%. Well, inflation was also going up for a good portion of that time. Inflation went from 2% to 3%, peaked, and inflation started to move down from 2% 
over here to about one and a half percent. Mortgage rates peaked at 5% and started to move down. So generally speaking, there's this kind of correlation and, and causation, causation, I should say, between inflation moving higher, mortgage rates move higher, inflation starts to move lower, mortgage rates start to move lower. Now that's been consistent throughout time, except, except during this quantitative easing period. So this gray bar right here is COVID and all of a sudden the economy shut down. So inflation went from just over 2% to, uh, you know, whatever it was, 0.2%, you know, yeah. a massive drop in inflation. And we saw interest rates continue their downward trajectory. And then something very curious happened. In January of 2021, we started to have a little bit of a reopening of the economy. The helicopter money, if you remember, right? Everybody was getting checks in the mail and there were super low interest rates and all kinds of stimulus and and, and all types of loans to businesses that never had to be repaid. So all this money entered into the financial system. And at the same time, companies weren't able to manufacture goods and services at, at a regular speed because of the COVID. Uh, a lot of supply chains were disrupted. So we had inflation take off starting in January of 2021. Um, really, it bottomed out at 0.2. It kind of normalized in this one and a half range. And then January of 2021, boom, inflation takes off. And you know, we'll see, we got all the way up here to around 9% in the, in the consumer price index. But what was weird is that interest rates stayed the same. Well, that was because, or roughly the same, right below and around 3%. Well, that was because this was the period of quantitative easing. The, the government was buying trillions, and I said government, the Federal Reserve, was purchasing trillions of dollars of mortgage-backed securities and treasury bonds, becoming an artificial market to manipulate long-term interest rates lower. They rigged the game. Because inflation was transitory. That's right. That's exactly right. Yep. Well, we, we're finding out that transitory might be, you know, five or 10 years instead of five or 10 months, but uh, that, that definition is evolving. But then you'll see right at the moment that the government stopped QE, uh, which is January 22-ish, you have an immediate response in mortgage rates. They go from 3% up to 6% in a period of six months. And so it, it, it goes back to the historical trend that your mortgage rates are going to going to follow um, inflation. So I'll pause there for a minute. Um, but but I just want the first thing that people should know is, look, the number one problem in the housing market in terms of the slowdown on the demand side is that housing has become unaffordable. Well, the reason it's become unaffordable is not not mostly not the price. It actually has more to do with the interest rate an interest rate fluctuation has three times the impact as does a price uh, a price uh, change up or down. So if you really want to know what, what moves affordability, it's mortgage rates. And if you really want to know what drives mortgage rates, it's inflation. So you know now we should probably talk and I'll let you lead into. So, so what's happening with inflation? Why is it starting to go down? 
And what does that mean for housing affordability and the demand side of the equation as buyers decide if they should re-enter the housing market in, in large quantities? Yeah. And, you know, before we, you know, I, I bring up a podcast that I did a while back, but before I get into that, this is a question that, that I get oftentimes is like when you have that chart up historically, to your point, if I'm a lender and inflation is 3%, I got to lend above that unless I'm actually losing real dollars. So historically, mortgage rates are going to be above the inflation rate. Correct. Okay. So right now, that is not the case. Mortgage rates are still below the current the current inflation rate. Okay. So you got to remember, these things are being projected long term. And that's right. Everybody thinks that inflation is going to decrease back to the average, which it does because that's what always happens. When it will happen, we don't know. And so that's the question I keep getting is, okay, well, you know, what if inflation stays up above six to 7% yep. for the foreseeable future for the next year or two? Does that mean that if this is not transition, transitory inflation, like they keep saying, will rates, even though they went down in the short term, will they potentially end up going up to seven or 8%, 9% because that's where inflation is at, is at six or 7%. So I'll let you take that question away. That is an excellent question. Um, that is the right question to gauge the risk in the real estate market. Uh, whether it's residential real estate, commercial real estate, doesn't matter. That That is the exact correct question. So I think to answer that question, we need to take two steps back and answer the question, what is inflation? So because it gets thrown around, but when I ask a room full of people to explain inflation to me, uh, <laughs> it's not overwhelming, right? The response is kind of like, eh, it's like when prices go up, right? Okay, cool. That's that's true. But, but let's try to dig a little deeper and figure out what causes inflation. So the easiest definition that I've found of what is inflation is just very simply too many dollars chasing too few products, supply and demand. If there's more demand than there is supply, the price of that item service is likely to go up. So let's, let's take this from the textbooks into reality, right? Into practicality. What happened to homes during the Great Recession? Excuse me, not during the Great Recession, um, after COVID. Well, the home values went up the fastest at the fastest pace nationally ever on record. Well, why was that? Okay. Well, on the supply side of the equation, we had home builders that since 2009 had been building less than the historical average of about 1.6 million new homes per year. They, 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 many home builders went out of business. A lot of them lost their capital lines. And even as they started to ramp up, we barely got back to the 60-year average of 1.6 million homes per year being built. But we went 13 years from 2009 to 2022, where home builders were building less than the 60-year the, the average of new homes. So the supply of new homes since the Great Recession has been constrained. So it doesn't matter if it's homes or, or groceries or food, there was a limited supply of that asset. 
And at the same time, we had a lot of dollars chasing it. Why did we have a lot of dollars chasing it? Well, this bag of money, those of you who can't see my screen, I've got little bags of money here. This bag of money was a, was a cryptocurrency millionaire, right? Cryptocurrencies after, right in 2021 uh, hit their all-time high, right? So people are flush. This, this person was flush with capital from a crypto investment. This bag of money was uh, a tech stock investor, and tech stocks hit their all-time high valuations in 2021. So this, this young lady was flush with capital. So these are dollars sloshing around the economy. And this young man right here just got out of the military and found out that he could get a VA home loan with 100% financing at 2.5% fixed for 30 years. So we had cheap money, all-time high in cryptocurrencies, all-time high in real estate valuations. So somebody may have sold a property and decided to buy three properties and an all-time high in the stock market. And by the way, uh, wines, watches, art, everything hit an all-time high in terms of valuation. So there was so many dollars sloshing around the, the, the economy, chasing homes that had a constriction on the number of homes brought to market for the last 13 years. And you could say the same thing for lumber. You could say the same thing for food. You could say the same thing for oil, right? There were just more dollars chasing um, too few products. And that's what, that's what causes inflation. So, so, so what happens then? Then the Fed starts to hike borrowing rates. As soon as the Fed started to hike borrowing rates, what happened? Well, the cryptocurrency bubble burst, the tech uh, I don't know if we'll call it a bubble, but tech stocks hit a top. Uh, I think it would be fair to say, you know, that bubble started to deflate in, in tech stocks. And all of a sudden, this young uh, gentleman, not because of the Fed, but because of inflation was rising, uh, this young's mortgage payment started to go up and housing became unaffordable. So between inflation and the Fed raising rates, we started to see uh, the rate the rate of inflation start to start to reverse. The other thing that that happened was supply chains began to improve. We began to get out of the COVID uh, lockdown backups, um, and also people had something else to do with their money. You know, um, I just saw uh, an advertisement for a checking account that was offering over three percent for business and personal checking accounts. There was a study that was done, it was a human behavioral study that showed if somebody has money and they can, can't find an investment that will yield them let, uh, more than 2%, they'd rather just spend the money because less than 2%, there's no reason to save it. But if you, have, if you can save it safely for more than 2%, people are more likely to save that money. Well, so now you've got you've got less money sloshing around the economy. You've got more production coming online because supply chains are fixing themselves. And you have more people deciding to save money in the bank. So all of these things are counterbalances to inflation. And we're seeing in many cases, you're starting to see businesses. Um, in fact, there's actually one other slide that I will show you, Joe, that I think is pretty cool. Um, well, 
when I say cool, I, I, this isn't a good thing. I need to I need to preface this. The word I should have used was insightful because I'm aware there's you know real humans on the other end of this that are um, that are being impacted by this. So I don't mean I don't mean it flippantly, but you know we're seeing tech companies across the country making a major shift from Amazon, Amazon, Twitter, Facebook, cutting tens of thousands of jobs. Um, Google has paused all hiring, excuse me, Apple, um, Google reducing hiring by 50%. And so all of these companies uh, have, have slowed down on their hiring and are letting people go. That is another thing that is going to slow inflation. So everything that I'm reading is telling me that supply chains are getting better. There's more products coming to market and there's less money sloshing around the economy and there's less jobs being created, which tells me inflation is likely to go down, which tells me mortgage rates are likely to go down. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I think they're going to go down because I think the recession is going to get even worse. <laughs> um, I agree. On that front, you know, because I get that question all the time, let it be about investments or just, you know, should I be buying a house? So a few months ago, I, I did a podcast where I looked at the area that I live in, did a back of the napkin type of valuation and said, look, based on the mortgage rates and the home affordability, if you kept everything else constant and all we raised was the interest rate, that would hypothetically say that to make houses affordable to the same level they were at prior to the interest rate rise, in my area, you'd have to see a drop of about 30%. Okay. 30% in in price of home? In price of home from the peak. Okay. okay. That that's so all else equal. Let you know how I did that. I basically went in and I said, hey, like interest rates were 3% before. I assumed a DTI ratio, assumed some leverage ratios, and said, okay, based on that, this is what the banks were underwriting for these values of houses. So if we keep all those other things constant. And all I did was increase the interest rate. As you said, that affects home prices the most because of affordability. Yep. Now the DTI ratios change. What would that imply in terms of if, if it just stayed flat? Yep. What would be put it in the same spot that it was prior to rates going up? And that would imply a 30% drop. And even with this last little tiny drop that came in, it still implies about a 25% drop from the high. And so that's why, like, I've, I've told my wife, I started looking at condos and stuff because the prices keep going down. And everybody keeps asking me about where, you know, the news coming out from the stock market is not good. Mm -hmm. So companies missing earnings, as you brought up, cutting employees, inflation still high. Like, yeah. I just looked at the uh, manufacturing index. We are at a lower level in manufacturing right now than when the economy was shut down in 2020. Like, we wow. are literally manufacturing less and having less output and, and than we did when the economy was shut down. Yep. And so everybody's like, well, how come the shoe really hasn't dropped yet? And to me, it's, it's still the consumer numbers are still high. Consumers are still buying. How are they buying? They're buying on credit. Like yes. Credit is higher right now than it was again when in 2020 when the economy shut down. So when people had no jobs, they were using less credit than they are now. And so everything in the consumer side is being held up by credit. That's the last shoe to drop. And so it's like, 
when is that shoe going to drop? I have no idea. A lot of people that I talk to, they're saying in the first half of next year, they see it dropping or sometime next year that it's going to have to, because people are not going to be able to pay their credit cards and everything. Um, on that front, I mean, what do you see on that side from the consumer standpoint, how that it's like this devil's advocate with the housing market, because yes, it can drive down prices, but at some point, people that actually still have money that still have the jobs, they're going to go back in and start buying those houses. So to me, it's like that real asset will probably see a bottom before the stock market sees a bottom. So there might be this opportunity where the stock market is still going down and real estate is already bottomed. Um, kind of, that's kind of my high level framework. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Cause again, I've talked about that on a couple of podcasts. I want to get your input on how you think about that also. I, I think that's exactly right. I believe that the, I think in terms of headwinds and tailwinds for, for any asset class, so, so let's talk about the headwinds for real estate right now in terms of prices of real estate, meaning what, what is preventing real estate prices from going higher? Um, and, and really, it's affordability, and affordability is broken down into three different pieces. The price of the home, the interest rate you pay, and the income that the borrower has. Yep. So, so we, we got to take those three things and look at them separately. Number one, prices have hit a level and are starting to move down slowly. Um, interest rates just 50 days ago, it was October 22nd, hit their peak at about 7.5, 7.3% and are now down into that 6.6 six range, right? So we're down not quite a full percent, but three quarters of a percent, I would say. Um, depending on the loan program. And so now you're starting to see uh, housing become more affordable because prices are coming down a little bit, interest rates are coming down, and sellers are willing to pay concessions to help buyers buy down their interest rates, either temporary for two to three years, or you can do permanent interest rate buy downs too. So all that's helping make housing more affordable. And people's wages are going up. You know, we still have this 50-year low uh, unemployment level. And when you have that little of slack in the job market, you're going to see employers that are, that are raising wages. Now, I think that's going to slow down because as, as the slide I just showed, you're starting to see companies let, let people go. We haven't quite seen the unemployment level really start to move higher yet, but there's been a lot of wage growth in the last 12 months. Yep. So there will be this crossing point, as you kind of described, um, that where I believe the stock market is going to get worse before it gets better. I believe the economy is going to get worse before it gets better. I think there's got to be some, some, some clean out that happens. But it's but I think what's important to understand is what's going to happen to mortgage rates when that happens. So let's look at um, let's look at and by the way, you know, people say, well, hey, the unemployment level is so low, we can't have a recession. Well, that's actually the exact opposite of what history teaches us. History teaches us that a hundred percent of the time, when the unemployment level bottoms and starts to move up 
you see one of these dark uh, blue or gray bars that is a recession. And that's every time, right? Employment bottoms, recession. Employment bottoms, recession. Employment bottoms, recession. So, so uh, the fact that unemployment rate is down around these 40 and 50 year lows doesn't tell us we're super safe. It tells us we're pretty close to the bottom and the, and the unemployment level is likely to move up, which is going to push us into a recession. And why is that important to understand? Well, by definition, recessions are deflationary, right? Because it's a contraction of the economy. There's less dollars chasing a, a fixed number of goods and services. So we know that if there's too many dollars chasing goods and services, we get inflation. If there's a contraction in dollars because the economy is contracting, then we're going to get deflation, which tells us that mortgage rates are likely to go down. And if you look at every single recession going back to 1980, you see that during these blue bars, rates go down. So in the 1980 recession, interest rates went from 16 to 11.75. In 82, they went from 18 to 13. In 91, they went from 11 to 8.75, on and on and on. Recessions equal lower mortgage rates because they're deflationary. And so there'll be this moment, Joe, where all of a sudden, yes, there's less money flowing around the economy. Yes, there's less jobs. But the people who still have their jobs are all of a sudden going to be looking around and going, hey, rates were just at seven. Now they're at five or four and a half. Fannie Mae, uh, the economists at Fannie Mae are projecting four and a half percent 30-year fixed mortgage rate in the fourth quarter of 2023. And if we get to that five, four percent, um, you're going to see people with jobs come off the sideline and become buyers. And I'll just show this last, um, I'll just show you this last slide here real quick, and then I'll turn it back over to you. You know, we talked a little bit about recency bias. This is home values. This is the S&P Case-Shiller U.S. National House Price Index, which I think is the longest name for any index I've ever seen anywhere. Uh, but it basically tracks housing values across the United States and kind of normalizes out for unusual markets and just creates one index of valuation. And, and, and we saw in the Great Recession, you saw a massive decrease in, in, in home values. But if you look back at every other recession, going back to 1960, recessions have been sideways to positive for real estate valuations. And so you'd go, why is that? If people are losing their jobs, if there's less money sloshing around the economy, how come prices went up? In, in, in the majority of these recessions. Uh, well, that's because mortgage rates went down and homeowner affordability skyrocketed and the people that were left with their jobs came out of the renter market in their parents' basement and became home buyers. And I believe that will happen sometime this year. I believe you'll see the recession, as you're saying, that'll cause mortgage rates to go down. That'll cause housing affordability to go up. And the people who still have jobs will jump into the housing market and that'll, you know, that'll kind of buoy the housing prices to a certain extent. Yeah. And to your point, you brought up the three things that, again, affect the housing market. And I always break them up into like short term slash long term, kind of like what's, what's the typical flow. And so the typical flow is like where we're at right now, 
with inflation and rates going up, the only thing that can move when you look at those things in the near term, in the short term, you're looking at people's income. Is that going to go up in the near term 7%? No, No. like it's not. Are rates going to be slashed in the next week or or in the next month or two? No, we already know that. Like they're not going to be slashed in the next month or two. So the only thing that can drop that can drop significantly is the home price. And so that's why you're starting to see things do this is because there's literally buyers that just whoop, buy, like they are nowhere to be seen. And so that's why I keep saying, you're going to see the home prices drop. Like where I live, they've dropped about 15%. I think they're going to drop another at the current levels, 20 to 20, uh, down to 20, 25% from the high. From just the high. in my area, from the high, not from here, but from the yeah. high. Okay. Now at the same time, to your point, once that consumer you know, gets pulled from the markets in terms of just the purchasing stuff. That's when I think, again, inflation will really start to drop. We're technically, we're already in a recession, but I think the recession will get worse. And that's when you're going to start seeing rates drop. I, I potentially yes. think significantly from the Federal Reserve, which I believe it's going to be more towards the third quarter or fourth quarter of next year. So you'll see rates drop. And then the third leg of that income increasing, I believe that's going to be the last leg. So when that income starts to increase, but you also have the bottom of the, of the, of the interest rates, the interest rates dropping and income start to increase, that's when you're going to start seeing real estate start really going up again. And that's why I'm saying there, there's going to be, in my opinion, uh, kind of like this golden time period to buy real estate because the amount of money in the last three or four years that we have dumped in the economy because of COVID inflation is going to get, it's going to go like this. And I'm not just talking about the real estate market. I'm talking about even like the stock market. Everything has a cycle. So typically like real assets will bottom out before stock type of assets. And so you'll see that in the real estate market start to go up. And then a few months to maybe a year or two later, you'll see the the stock market bottom and then that will go up. And I think both of them are going to just explode especially as the people's income start adjusting to all this money because it has to i mean if i'm going to use simple numbers like let's just say you're using uh, you're making a hundred grand before this inflation stuff okay like you just lost seven percent of your purchasing power it just went down to 93 percent or 93 grand essentially in the last year when people realize that they're going to start demanding higher income so it's going to bring that up and bring that inflation up. So anyways, yeah, that's my two minute rant on, <laughs> on the hat. No, I, I think that's important, Joe. And, and I think what was, what I thought of as you were saying that was the fact that um, people who have bought, who, people who are current homeowners, don't panic. Don't, don't be in this place where you're like, oh my gosh, you know, rates are going to 10% and we're going to have another run of the Great Recession. I don't see anything that shows me that we're not going to see a bottoming and and actually, rate, like you said, Joe, prices start to move higher sometime this year. And I base that mostly off of supply and demand. And the fact that I believe inflation is in the near term because of the recessionary pressures you're talking about going to push mortgage rates down. Allow me to show you just just two other real now, quick slides. I know we're running out of time. This, I'm going to have you bring up that chart that you had with the uh, K Shiller index. But point something out to people. But go ahead and go go through this. 
Okay, so this is household growth. That's the number of household formations. So, you know, my son Xander's 13, my daughter Aria's 11. Right now, mom, dad, and two kids are one household. But in, you know, five, seven years, now that one household is going to turn into three households because the kids are leaving, right? So that's how household formations happen. Mm -hmm. So the blue uh, bars is your household growth. That's the number of household formations happening in the United States. And this is annual completions of homes. And of course, this would be million, right? The 1500 is 1500,000. So that'd be million. So if you look from like 02 to 05, you had more annual housing completions. Home builders were building more homes than there was household formations. That's called overbuilding, too much supply, more supply coming to the market than there were household formations for potential buyers. So that ran up to... Uh, up to, uh, and then there was a huge drop in household formations in 2006. By the way, 33, uh, 33 years before that was Roe versus Wade and contraception, contraceptives became normal. Uh, abortion became legalized. That dropped down the birth rate. So there's less potential buyers because the household formations were, were less in 2006. But builders didn't get the memo. They, they, none of them read uh, the, the history books that 33 years ago, Roe versus Wade happened and there was a demographic trough. So you had this period where annual completions from 2002 to 2010 was greater than household growth, yep. i.e. more supply being brought to the market than demand. But let's look at where this changed. We go If we go back to 2014, this starts to normalize. Household growth starts to catch up to the annual completions of home. 2015, more households than there were completions of home. Then we had one aberration year in 16, where household growth was a little less than completions. But since pretty much 15, with the aberration of 16, you're talking about six out of seven years, there's been way more household growth than there has been annual completions. So we still have a we have this supply shortage that once interest rate mortgage rates go down and housing becomes affordable, we're going to go back to this place where I think demand is going to exceed supply. Um, and then just last thing on this, Joe, and I'll go back to the slide you were talking about. This kind of looks at the birth rates. I showed you this slide before, going back to 1928. And the millennials, which is a huge cohort, the biggest cohort since the baby boomers, that this is the, 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 the birth rate. So, you know, this is about 4 million people on this four line here. And, and if you look at from today over the next 22 years, the birth rate was about 4 million per year. And that tells us that we're going to have a tremendous amount of household formations 33 years later. That's about the time first-time homebuyers are entering the market. And so demographically in 2006, we were in trouble. But demographically today, 
we've got a very strong birth rate that's going to push us through the millennial cohort and then um, Gen Gen Z. Yep, absolutely. We'll see if they want to buy a house, <laughs> which I think they do, but we'll see. All right. Where um, did you, which slide did you want to go to? The one with the Case-Shiller Index. The one that you, you got it. Um, I think that was this one. Is that this one? Yeah. So there's this thing that everything has a rhythm. Okay, it goes mm -hmm. up, it's going to have an equal pullback down. Okay. Mm -hmm. And in investments, we always say mm -hmm. things revert back to the mean. That's how we describe that. Okay. And if you look at that chart, you will see pretty consistent type of stuff from about 1970 all the way through basically when we got off the gold standard, all the way through to about 2000 the the mean growth in housing prices was depending on the area it was about two to three percent per year and then what happened in 2000 when we hit the dot-com bust and all that type of stuff is that's when the fed started pumping money into the market dropping rates and all that type of stuff and you saw the money supply start going up so you you see that spike going into 05 but remember everything reverts back to the mean and so if you look at you know, the dark blue line where there's a recession, you would say, okay, well, by 2008, 2009, that's probably where, if you would have taken that historical trend over time, that's where housing prices should have been at, right yeah. around that price. And as you can see, it actually overcorrected and went down even further. And yeah. then if you look at, yeah, right there. And then if you look at 2015, it actually goes back up to be pretty much back in trend. Pretty much in trend. Yep, exactly. Yep. And now what happens is you see the money supply go up quite a bit. Now, it's not going to be the same 2 to 3% historical increase because the money supply has also gone up so much. So I think that 2 to 3% average is going to go up more to 3 to 4%, potentially even 4.5%, somewhere in that range. However, you see that tremendous spike. And that tells me that one of two things has to happen. Either A, the housing prices, just like it did in 08, will revert back to, to make that trend go back to where it should be. Yep. Or housing prices are going to level out. And then as time progresses, eventually it's going to get back to that mean. And once it's back to that mean, then it's going to go back up. One of those, and that might take two or three years. We don't know. Like in this chart, you can see it kind of dropped in 2010 and it took about till about 2014-ish to get back on that trend line. Yep. Did it. So we're looking at either an immediate drop coming here soon, or you're going to see some drop with housing prices kind of flat for two or three years, in my opinion, and then it's going to go and but that two or three year period if you're sitting on cash or a good job like josh was talking about rates will be dropping during that time and you can potentially start getting into good properties or if you're an investor you can start getting into good properties and then you already have that piece of property and you're starting to hit that growth curve back up and so when i saw that chart that's what i'm always about like reverting back to the mean like and you can see it's a it's a definite trend and even though you got some ups and you got some downs, it's always going to go revert back to that average over time. So. And Joe, I could not agree with what you just said more. 
what I would just add to that is what, what is going to make the difference between the market flattening or, or having kind of a, a more steep downward curve? And I believe those two things are how severe is the recession and how, how many jobs are, all, are lost um, in that recession and what's going to happen to mortgage rates. Um, if mortgage rates go down significantly and housing becomes as affordable as rent, then you're gonna, you know, you're gonna see that kind of be more of a flat trajectory. But you know what makes this so hard, Joe? I know we're running out of time, so I'll end on this. Is real is we're talking about real estate from a national standpoint, but nobody buys real estate in 50 states, right? They buy exactly. they buy real estate in one community. And it's so hard to 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 think to think that through. Can you see my screen where it says real estate report card? Yep. Yep, okay. absolutely. So this um, report is something that we can create for, for the Fitbucks community um, for any city, county, or metro area in the country. And what it does is it, it, it breaks down um, median home prices, historical appreciation, forecasted appreciation based on income, job growth, demographics, housing, uh, age of population, housing supply, um, it shows, uh, it shows the, uh, the demographic age. You know, we talked about the average age of a first-time home buyer being 33. So in Salt Lake City, 27 to 35-year-olds makes up the largest cohort of, of, of uh, ages. So that tells you, you know, if most of your age is over 50, or most of your age is less than 27, then you have less home buyers in that market. Um, it'll tell you the unemployment rate for the nation. And like in Salt Lake City, Utah, right? The, the, the unemployment rate nationally is around three, seven. In 2022, unemployment in Utah is at two. So it shows you very strong from a job perspective. It, to it tells you what's going on with the number of, of employments or jobs in the, in, the, in the state, whether they're going up or down. It shows you an affordability index. It shows you medium home values. It shows you uh, the number of actual homes being built and the first time home purchases taken from the inventory because it, it takes this demographic and then it says, all right, look, if we've got 204,000 people in this age group and we know that we can apply a 68% home ownership rate, we know approximately how many buyers. So we can see if there's an oversupply or undersupply of, of homes on the market. So just in closing, Joe, if somebody wants to get granular around a certain community, uh, this is something that we can create for, for the Fitbucks community. Yep. And you can leave it on that for a oh, second. I'm going to point yeah. something out on there too, because it reiterates one of the statistics that I was just talking about. Everything reverts back to the mean, but you got to remember that there's a money supply. The money supply has basically doubled and tripled in the last few years. Like it's been ridiculous. So that yeah. means that those means will actually increase because inflation is going to be more rampant because of that. It's going to there's going to be more inflation. So you can expect a higher rate of return. So if you look at the, in the purple, the five year, the 10.13% appreciation in there. Okay. That comes out to an average annual return over five years of about 2%. Okay. And if you look at the five year estimate, it comes out to what I was just saying, it comes out to about 4.1%. 
So that, that's the historical norm, no matter what area you're in was about two to 3%. And I think it's going to be increased because of the money supply between three and a half and four and a half percent. And again, that goes to prove that, that that's already the expectation that, Hey, over the five, five, you know, year projection, that's going to be the appreciation. When we hit that, it might not be, you know, 4% every year. We might go down a little bit more this year and you actually have a negative 10%. And then the, like the next year might be 0%. And then the next year might be 15%, and then 15%, and then 20%. So you never know what that curve is going to look like. But eventually we'll get on that average rate of 4%. And that's why I think there's going to be such a massive opportunity, especially for investors, once you hit kind of this lull coming that, that we're going to get into here soon. Yeah. And I'll just, you know, to your point, there are going to be temporary shocks to the economy that cause, you know, temporary movements of prices up and down. But to Joe's point, over long periods of time, these things normalize out. They revert to the mean or the averages. And if you look at the house, the, the cost of housing over long periods of time, yeah, you know, sometime in that since 1991, certainly there was some down years. But goodness gracious, since 1991, uh, real estate in the state of Texas has gone up 331%. Nationally, it's gone up 305%. And, and so, you know, the longer you're in the asset, the safer it is. Because as Joe said, if there's a pullback for a year, then the next year's maybe is flat. And then the next year has a massive year. But if you average those three years out, it went up 4%. And so you just you just you just want to make sure that you're if you're in that asset, the longer you're in it, the safer you're going to be because the 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 mean or the average will carry you higher over the longer term. Yeah, and if you go back to that since 1991, that average for Texas is about 3.9 percent. There you go. That average has been steadily increasing, especially since 2008, because the money supply again. I, I know on a, on a previous live chat we've shown that money supply chart. Yeah. And, it's just, and so all these averages, that's all inflation It's going to keep going up. And I brought this up in the last quarterly meeting. One of the biggest ways to hedge inflation is uh, land at the end of the yeah. day, because land will hedge inflation. That's why everybody's like, oh, well, Bill Gates is buying a lot of farm property, a lot of land. It's, that's wise it's because he's hedging inflation. That's the only one of the only real assets that hedge inflation is, is land and real estate. So there you go. Any, uh, I know we, we went up to about an hour here. Um, any parting words that you want to leave everybody with? Well, I just love hanging out with you. Uh, it's always a fun conversation. I just look down at the clock and I'm like, we just went an hour. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I guess I would just leave with, this is a the real estate is a local market and some markets are going to do better than others. And if, if people need help to investigate their markets, um, we have a lot of tools for that. And we would encourage you to reach out to us and let us give you some tools to do that and answer your specific questions. Um, and, and if there's anything else we can do to, to bring clarity to what is seemingly a confusing topic, we'd love we're here for you. Yeah. And, and as you guys know, um, 
you know, I, I live just outside of Austin. So for the next year or two, as we're, you know, hitting some of these lows, stop moving here. So that way I can buy some properties and then <laughs> move back. Okay. So unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen because of how many people are moving here. Um, as always, it, it's, you know, great to chat with you, Josh. Um, as you guys know, Neo Home Loans is one of our, our mortgage partners at Fitbooks. Um, a lot of you asked me, you know, why them? It's because of the analytics that, you know, Josh has showed you. A lot of lenders don't show you that type of stuff. They, you go to them, they say, here's your rate. Can you afford it? Yes or no, close a loan. They don't help you dive into the numbers that actually help you understand what you're buying and stuff. So thanks, Josh. they have all that. Yeah, they're... They're a lot different than, than a lot of lenders. Those of you that don't know, I don't like lenders. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, they, they've they been vetted. They got some good tools for you guys to use to do all that type of analytics and everything. So if you guys got anything, I'll put the, the link in the comments and everything to Neo. Um, and then yeah, go from there. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate you. Yeah, our, our goal is to help bring clarity to a specific real estate market and a, and a home buyer's transaction. So to the extent that we can help there, we'd love to do it. Thanks for allowing us to be part of the community. If you have questions, feel free to leave them and I'll follow up and make sure we answer them to the best of our ability. Perfect. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Happy holidays, everybody. Yeah, you too. See you later. Bye.